Ancient words ever true, changing you and changing, or changing me and changing you. We have come with open hearts and let the ancient words impart. Indeed, that is what we are doing. We are coming with open hearts and we are asking that God's word would impart to us the truth that it reveals. And it would impact us in such a deep way, such a meaningful way that it would shift or change our focus. It would move us from this earth to the eternal. And we would begin to see ourselves as mere runners within a continuous race where we are relaying, where we are passing off from one generation to another generation the gospel that the baton that is the gospel as we come this morning we come to the final two verses of first timothy chapter six and we are concluding our study through the book of first timothy before going on to second timothy as we come this morning we understand that we have said all along that this book is not simply descriptive of how things were to be within the early church church, this book is actually prescriptive for how things are to be carried out within our own day, within our own churches. It doesn't simply give a historical picture of what life would have been like in those first churches. It is designed to show us how we are to live and to minister within the context of community that is called the local church body of Jesus Christ. It shows us, it it prescribes for us how we are to live live and minister day by day. God's church indeed is to devote itself to facilitating the flow of the gospel by completing or fulfilling the great commission through evangelizing all people and making disciples of those who repent of their sins and place their faith unreservedly in Jesus Christ. That is the goal of the local church body. God's church is designed. It is to work in such a way that our focus is to be primarily on what? evangelizing all people how by fulfilling the great commission taking the gospel to the ends of the earth to all the nations and making disciples of all those who would receive jesus christ as lord so we come this morning to this closing passage of this first pastoral epistle let us remember paul's description in chapter 3 verse 15 of what the church is the church is what the church is the pillar and the support of the truth the pillar in support of the truth. God's true church has held to the truth of God's gospel, redeeming sinners and making them into saints amid the swirling storms of persecution from without and the insidious attacks of false teachings from within throughout the course of history. There have been countless numbers in in church history that have paid the ultimate price of surrendering their lives so that the gospel might be go forward, so that the precious truths of God's word might not be abandoned or compromised. Indeed, this is the kind of devotion that we are to live with in the midst of our lives, in the midst of our place, in the midst of our community. We are to love God more than anything else. We are to devote ourselves to Him above anyone or anything else in this world. We are to make Him the first and principal priority within our lives. David Platt in Radical records two such men who lived in this way. First of all, there was one Christian in India while being skinned alive, looked at his persecutors and said to them, I thank you for this. I thank you for this. Tear off my old garment for I will soon put on Christ's garment of righteousness. What would you say if you were looking death in the face? 
Someone was holding a knife and it was designed to peel away, to part your skin from the rest of your natural body. This Christian had such a view, uh, such a high view of God and his work in this world that he said, I thank you for this because you are removing this outward body so that I might put on the the righteousness of Christ's garment in heaven. The note of Christopher Love, who wrote, who wrote to his wife before his execution and said, Today, my dear, they will sever me from my physical head, but they can never sever me from my spiritual head, Jesus Christ. That's love, isn't it? That's devotion. That's giving everything. Not, pat, not failing, not fa- f- falling away, not fading away into obscurity, but giving everything for the purpose of the gospel. Indeed, as he walked to his execution, his wife stood by and she applauded as he sang of glory. That couple is committed, deeply committed, seriously committed to the gospel. This is the kind of affection, this is the kind of devotion, the kind of love that we are to have for our great Savior in the midst of the perils and persecutions of this world. We stand today on the shoulders of those who have come before us guarding the gospel, keeping it pure, keeping it safe, and passing it on to the generations that came behind them. Indeed, the command from God through Paul for Adamsville Baptist Church today is the same as it was through Paul to the church at Ephesus in In this letter to Timothy, church, you are to guard the gospel. You are to proclaim it to all people, regardless of where you regardless of where you are and what you are doing. And you are to hand it down unadulterated and uncompromised to those that follow in your footsteps of faith. Church, you want to know what your role is? You want to know what your responsibility is? You want to know what you ought to be about? Here's what you ought to be about. Guarding the gospel truth of God's Word. You ought to be about proclaiming the gospel truth of God's Word to all you meet. And finally, you ought to make sure that you don't adulterate or compromise it in any way as you pass it on to the next generation. What is it that is most precious to you? What is it that you spend the most time desiring and uh, selfishly and tirelessly defending in your life? What is it? Perhaps it's your looks, your appearance. I've got bad news for you. Look in the mirror. You're dying. I'm dying. The grasshopper is dragging along, as it says in Ecclesiastes chapter 12. Indeed, things are falling and things are failing. Listen, you may die with your skin stretched tight because you were trying to to psych yourself out in your appearance. Or you may die with your skin sagging, but it doesn't really matter because ultimately what's going to happen? You're going to die. You can try to protect it all you want. It's going to change. What about your bank account? We guard our bank account closely. We guard our country closely. We guard our jobs closely. We guard our retirements and our savings closely. We guard all the stuff that is in our house safely. We keep it under lock and key. Perhaps you even have one of those little alarms that are more trouble and nuisance than they are actual protection. But the reality is, 
What we value most and what is most precious in our life is what we will devote ourselves to. And God's glorious salvation that secures our soul for all eternity with Him is what is to be most precious within the Christian life. The redeemed children of God are to be guarding the gospel with every breath, with every second, with every ounce of strength within them as we seek to facilitate the flow of the gospel by completing the task of the Great Commission by evangelizing all people and making disciples of those who repent of their sins and place their faith in Jesus Christ. Listen, this morning, church, we need to have focus. We need to have certainty that we know what we are on about. And we need to be on about guarding the gospel truth that God has given within his word. Let us take his word now and let us see the challenge, the charge that Paul gives to this young pastor, Timothy, as he closes out this passage of first timothy let's stand in honor of the reading of this god's holy and inspired word second timothy chapter or first timothy chapter five six verses 20 and 21 the word reads as follows O timothy guard what has been entrusted to you avoiding worldly and empty chatter and the opposing arguments of what is falsely called knowledge which some have professed and thus gone astray from the faith grace be with you o timothy guard what has been entrusted to you avoiding worldly and empty chatter and opposing arguments of what is falsely called knowledge which some have professed and thus gone astray from the faith grace be with you. Father, we ask now that your grace would be with us. Father, that your Holy Spirit would come and help us along to understand and to apply rightly this passage of Scripture into our lives. Father, we ask for your divine guidance so that we might, Father, go out differently than we came in, so that we might live a life of consequence, Father, that guards your gospel, a life that avoids deviating from your word, and a life that is lived by your grace. Father, we ask now, Father, that that you would just continue to minister to us through this, your revealed word. In Jesus' name, amen. We see here in this passage that the church is to live by faith. The church is to live by faith, by God's grace, guarding the integrity of the gospel as we avoid the danger of deviating from the truth of God's word. The church is to live by God's grace in the midst of this life, guarding the integrity of the gospel, guarding the gospel as presented to us within scripture so that we might avoid the danger of deviating from God's word and turning ourselves to a way that would lead us not to heaven, but to hell. As we come this morning, indeed, we see there are three basic thoughts within this passage. First of all, there is a duty to perform. Secondly, there is a danger to avoid. And thirdly, there is a way to live the way to live. As we come this morning, let us start by seeing that there is a duty to perform. And what is the duty? It is to guard the gospel. Guard what has been entrusted to you there in verse 20. Now, as Paul begins, he begins with an emphatic statement to his son in the ministry. And I don't want us to overlook it. I don't want us simply to run past it because it is very important to get a sense of the passion with which Paul is speaking. Look there at those first two words in that in verse 20. What does Paul say? Oh, Timothy. Can you hear it? He's not saying, oh, Timothy. And next we need to make sure you understand. 
It's not saying, oh, Timothy, Timothy, Timothy. It's not, oh, and Timothy. It's, oh, Timothy. The passion, the pathos. He's pleading with Timothy. Timothy, know what's important. That changes perspective, doesn't it? Puts it in a different light. It's sort of like the parent who is on the front stoop of the college dorm, getting ready to turn and walk away for the first time, turning around and pleading, Oh, son, don't give yourself to drunkenness, drugs, and debauchery. Give yourself to being careful, believing in Christ, and behaving as a Christian. Parents, you ever had that conversation? Do you know what kind of emotion Paul is speaking with now? Do you understand how he is evoking this emotion? Oh, Timothy, my son in the faith, do these things. All right, I don't want to belabor it too much, but I think it's important for us to understand this. Guard what was entrusted to you. This term guard comes from the Greek term philoso, which means to keep valuables in a safe place, to keep valuables in a safe, safe place. The rest of the term comes from the Greek word paratheke, which means literally deposit. Now, all of us immediately understand what it means to keep something in a safe place, don't we? You understand what it means to guard something, don't you? Perhaps you're thinking of your drawer at home, or maybe you're thinking of, you know, that under the, under the bed, and some of you are going home this afternoon and changing. How did the pastor know where I hid my valuables? Because everybody has somewhere, the closet, the back of the closet, or maybe it's the safety, safety deposit box down at the bank. But here's what he's saying. You have something precious, something valuable, and after you get paid and you get that check, then what do you immediately do? You go to the bank and you sign it over for what? Their safekeeping for them to guard it, right? To protect it until you get ready to use it. And so here he's saying, listen, you have something that is precious, something that is valuable. And so the question is not so much what does it mean to safeguard, to protect, to keep things safe. It is what is the deposit that is being talked about? That's the question. Well, if we look at the end of verse 21, we actually see that Paul answers the question by saying some have actually walked away from the faith. So the thing that has been entrusted to you is the faith by which you have been saved and secured for all eternity. In in chapter 1, verse 5, Paul said the goal of the sound instruction which they ministered was love from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 13, we read just a few moments ago. Paul says it this way, Retain the standard of sound words which you have heard from me in the faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. What is it that is deposited? What is it that is entrusted to Timothy and the church? The gospel. The belief, the right doctrine, the sound doctrine, the sound words of how to be saved. That's what he's saying. Hey, listen, you need Timothy. You need to value the truth. You need to protect the truth. You need to defend the truth. You need to retain the truth. Guard the doctrine. You see, Timothy didn't invent this faith. Timothy what? Received this faith. 
It wasn't something Timothy had invented. He received it. See, it was passed on to him from his grandmother and from his mother. Both Lois and Eunice had been believers in Jesus Christ, and they had passed their faith on to their son uh, and grandson. Paul had now built on this foundation of truth, and Timothy didn't invent what he uh, invent this gospel as he was going along, but rather he received from God the message of truth of how a sinner is saved by God's grace and transformed into a saint. And now he's supposed to hold it fast. Timothy, you hold on to it. Vincent of Lorenz, in commenting on this passage, he asks the question, what is meant here by the deposit? What has been entrusted to you? And he answers that question in this way. That which is committed to you, not that which is invented by you. The deposit is not that which you have received, or is that which you have received, not that which you have devised. It is not a thing of your wit, but a thing of your learning. It is not a thing of private assumption, but a thing of public teaching. It is not a matter, a thing brought forth from you, but a thing brought to you. You are not its author, but you are its keeper. You are not its leader, but you are its follower. Timothy, in your wildest dreams, you couldn't invent the gospel that God has revealed within Scripture. Timothy, don't you waver from it. Don't you deviate from it. Don't you do anything except for hold on to it, retain it, and guard it with your life. This is the most valuable, most precious possession that you could ever be entrusted in. Timothy, forget all the guns. Forget all the shopping stuff. All the stuff that you have stored up in your house. You sell yourself out to protect the gospel. Can you imagine the scene on the battlefield? Two men, two brothers in arms, speaking to one another. One is stooped low over his fellow brother. And in that moment, that man is mortally wounded, laying on the ground, reaches into his pocket and pulls out a precious, valuable trinket, a stop or a watch that has been a pocket watch that has been in his family for five generations. And he opens his brother's hands and he puts a watch in it and he closes his brother's hands and says, now, listen, this watch is valuable. It is precious. It's been in my family for five generations. I want you to protect it. I want you to guard it. I'm not going to see my mother again. Please get it back to my mother Guard it with your life. That's the picture. That's the picture of what Timothy is saying to his son. uh, What Paul is saying to Timothy, his son in the ministry. You've been entrusted with something far more precious than a family heirloom that will rust and be destroyed. You have been entrusted with the word of salvation, with the word of truth, with the very revelation of God. Timothy, you value it. You deem it important. You protect it. You defend it. You retain it. You hold on to it no matter what it costs. More than anything, we want our church at Adamsville Baptist to be known as a place where the scriptures, the truth of God's word is valued. It is highly valued because it is what reveals to us the source of salvation. Salvation, who is Jesus Christ Himself. And we hold it high. 
Indeed, what happens if we lose conviction? What happens if we don't diligently guard the faith that has been entrusted to us? Then the message gets watered down. Legalism arises. Traditionalism takes charge. Modernism creeps in. And we have lost the sacred church trust of the church. Indeed, we don't ever want to lose it. That is why every Sunday morning as we come, we open the Scriptures and expound them verse by verse, chapter by chapter. We want to know what God says, not what we say. Let us not drop that sacred trust. Let us not drop that baton, but rather let us relay it to the next generation so that they understand the truth of the gospel and hold fast to it as well and might then pass it on. We have a duty to perform and the duty is to guard the gospel. Secondly, we see that there is a danger to avoid. A danger to avoid. And what is the danger that we are to avoid? We are to avoid deviating from God's word, from God's truth. Not only do we have a duty to perform in guarding the faith, but we have to avoid this danger of turning ourselves over to all sort of sorts of worldly and godless chatter. It says here in this passage, avoid worldly and empty chatter and the opposing arguments of what is falsely called knowledge. And then he adds, which some have professed and thus gone astray from the faith says, listen, there's a real danger out there because there's all these competing ideas that are knocking at the door and wanting you to choose them over Christ. They want you to look to yourself for salvation. But understand, you can't look to yourself for salvation. You have to look to Christ for salvation. Understand, as you walk on the college campuses, they're going to be competing with the Bible for your worldview. And it is very important that you are not willing to relinquish, to give up, to set aside the teachings of the Bible to receive man's worldly knowledge. Understand that. It is a significant issue. So what is Paul saying? Well, very simply put, he's saying this. Keep the plain things of Scripture, the main things of your faith, and the main things of Scripture, the plain things of your faith. That's what you need to know. The main things are to be the plain things, and the plain things are to be the main things. That's what he's saying. He's saying, make sure you understand that the big T of Scripture is to rule the little s of your system of theology. Make sure the big T, the text of Scripture, rules the little s, the system of your theology. We want to hold tightly to the orthodox Christian faith of the Bible and not in any way turn aside from it, not in any way stray from it. But listen, there's two options. You can either turn aside and stray from the Scripture or you can turn aside and stray from the sin of this world. But there's no other option. One of those two must be your choice. Paul says here you are to avoid what? You are to avoid the worldly and empty chatter. Now, avoiding is a word that, is, that means literally to turn aside and to turn away from. Can't you just picture this for just a moment? You're, you're seeing and watching two guys that are in the middle of a boxing ring and they're throwing punches left and right. And what are they constantly doing? They are ducking, they're bobbing, they're weaving, they're turning aside, they're trying to deflect the power of those punches lest they connect and knock them out. Imagine swerving your car as you're going down the road. Little bunny runs out and rather than take the bunny out, you take the car out. 
But the literal picture is swerving around to miss that which might endanger you. As believers, we are going to encounter a lot of teaching that will seek to draw us away from our biblical faith. When we see our danger, when we see such dangers, we are to dodge, we are to swerve, we are to avoid them at all costs. What specifically are we to avoid? First of all, we are to avoid worldly or basically godless conversation, empty babble. It was used originally to refer to anything outside the sacred ground of a Greek temple. And so this word comes to us and we are to understand that our first priority is not to be to conversate about things of this world, but to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Secondly, empty chatter is hollow, meaningless and pointless talk. Listen, don't we have enough of that in our world? In fact, our halls were filled with it this morning. A few weeks, football's going to start back up and you'll hear your pastor on a regular basis referencing that. Or not, because Georgia Tech's on suspension for the next, you know, century. It's all right. Doesn't really matter. Because we need to understand that that we are not to give ourselves to talking about shopping and sports and success in this world. We are to give ourselves to talking about what? Who? The Savior of the world. What else should we be talking about? What else should everybody know that is on the tip of our tongue? It ought to be that Jesus Christ is the Lord and King of my life. Paul tells Timothy to avoid opposing arguments to God's revealed truth. This referred to false teachings that contradicted or were the opposite of orthodox biblical truth. But both the Greeks and the Jews loved to argue points of minutia within their theology and their logic. They would go on for days debating issues that had absolutely no basis upon no impact upon life they would debate all kinds of ridiculous items and contexts and and things they would say well how many angels can fit on the head of a pen who cares i don't care well don't you know that angels are circumcised really where's that in the bible who cares That's what Paul is attacking. He's saying, listen, don't be sucked in by these guys. You know, the guys that have like four multicolored markers to go through their Bible and show everything, how all this is related to all that. And if you actually, you know, multiply the number of chapters in Ezekiel times times the number of chapters in Revelation and then divide it by this number in Harold Camping gives us a date. And guess what? It's wrong. Three times over. Listen. Don't be sucked in by this stuff. Isn't it amazing? I I see them coming all the time. They walk in and, well, pastor, tell us what you believe on. What? Are you serious? You want me to tell you what I believe on the most minute points of theology before you'll come to, to this church? You don't need to know the minute points of theology. You need to know the major point, Jesus Christ and salvation for sinners. That's what's important. Listen, these discussions generate a lot of heat, but not a whole lot of light. Timothy was not 
to involve himself too deeply with disputes because some have strayed from the faith because of these disputes. Some have been deceived by such false teaching so much so that they have turned away from biblical truth and begun to distort the gospel. This is still going on in our day. We still need to guard ourselves against it. For what Paul is saying is, Timothy and church, if you want to be a good servant of Christ, perform your duty of guarding the gospel and avoiding the dangers of deviating from God's truth by pointing out the false teachers and their flawed teachings. Give them the gospel and the whole counsel of God's word, not just helpful hints and peaceful, peaceful, positive platitudes that we see so much of within our day. We indeed see a wide variety of ancient heresies that are nothing more than repackaged and reintroduced within our own culture and our churches in modern names. The first of them is open theism, which says that no one, including God himself, knows what's going to happen tomorrow or anywhere in the future. Listen, open theism denies God's sovereignty, his omniscience, and his transcendence, and is to be wholeheartedly rejected. Isaiah 46.10 says of God's character, declaring the end from the beginning and the ancient times thing times from the things that are not yet done God saying my counsel shall stand and I will do my pleasure there is no room within biblical Christianity to have open theism and it is to be wholeheartedly rejected but secondly let's hit a little closer to home it's the self-help psychology that we see all over the all over the place on our televisions Robert Schuller is the most pervasive, uh, pervasive propagator of this heresy. And he says in his book entitled Self-Esteem, the New Reformation to be born again means that we must be changed from a negative to a positive self-image, from inferiority to self-esteem. Is that the gospel? The gospel's only for self-esteem? That's not the truth. The truth is the gospel is to save sinners from sin, not to give you self-help and self-esteem. Oh, why in the world do we turn it on? He goes on to say, when we meet the ideal one, Jesus, who receives us as his peer and treats us as his equal, as a result, the core of our life changes from shame to self-esteem. And we can pray our Father in heaven, honorable is our name. That's not the Bible. That's not the prayer. What is the prayer there that the disciples are given by Jesus? Our Father, hallowed be whose name? Your name. Not my name. The the problem is that these footsteps have been directly followed in by the likes of Joel Osteen, who has just watered down Robert Schuller. Why do I warn you? Why do I tell you? Guard yourself against what you're hearing. Because listen, he may have a nice smile, but the truth of his doctrine is far from true according to Scripture. Thirdly, we see the peddlers for profit in the health and wealth gospel, the name, and cl- name it and claim it movement of our day. Those such as Robert Tilton, Benny Hinn, Peter Popoff, Mike Murdoch, and Rod pa- Parsley, who we have dealt with in the past few weeks, according to First Timothy chapter three, chapter six, verses three through ten, who are nothing more than men who love money, not godliness, for godliness with contentment. 
is what brings great gain. Fourthly, the emerging evangelical church of our day, led by, the guy, by guys like Rob Bell and his book, Love Wins, and Brian McLaren, are those who are increasingly embracing universalism, which says all will be saved despite their response to Jesus Christ. The reality is that the Bible never once says that. It says that Jesus himself claimed, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. My question for you this morning, is, do you believe the Bible or do you believe men? The Bible's to win out every time. See, church, her- see it, church heresies like open theism, self-help psychology, the health and wealth gospel, and the universalist movement are, are why we need good theology. It's why you need to take up this book, study it diligently, and apply it into your lives so that you embrace and know the truth of God's Word and are not swayed by all of these arguments. In order to guard the truth, what do you first have to do? You have to know the truth, right? You have to know the truth. Theology is not an end in, in and of itself. Rather, it is a road sign on the, on the right path, that we are on the right path. We don't come to a road sign and say that we have arrived in the city, do we? No, we follow the signs until we get to the city. And that's what theology is. It guides us and guards us towards the relationship with God. And towards living in peace with Him. See, we allow sound biblical theology to guide us into a correct understanding of God. And then we celebrate in His presence. We have a pure gospel today because we have many forefathers in the faith who held to sound doctrine amidst all types of persecution and heresy. And we are to be the same. Listen, if you want to see, understand, and know theology and be able to pick out the problems with the, with the presentations of those guys that you see on late night TV, you study your Bible. Get deeper into it. Understand it. Love it and live it. Indeed, we see that there is a duty for us to perform, and that is to guard the gospel. We see that there is a danger to avoid, and that is to live, uh, to deviate from God's word. But finally, we see the way to live. The way to live is God's grace. The source of our salvation and strength is God's grace. That is the way that we are to live. Paul concludes this whole letter by the simple words, Grace be with you. What a powerful close. Grace be with you. God's unmerited favor upon you. What, What a pronouncement. What a blessing. And we miss it in the English because we see grace be with you. And what do we understand as the subject of that statement? Timothy, right? You read that and you say, well, grace be with you. That Obviously, Paul's just talking to Timothy. Well, actually, in the Greek, you'll catch a nuance. He's saying, grace be with y'all. We're in the South, right? Grace be with y'all. To the church at Ephesus. If you're from the North, that just means grace be with you all. Okay, we just shorten it a little bit. But understand, that's what Timothy, that's what Paul is saying to Timothy in the church at Ephesus. May God's unmerited favor rest upon you, reign in your life, lead you to triumph in the midst of the trials and tribulations that you go through. May you live in God's grace. 
This little phrase indicates the greatest blessing of all. The fact that God gives us His unmerited favor through Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ, which is His blessing on those who don't deserve it, so that is purchased at the cost of the death of His own Son. May God's blessing be upon you. Because why? Why is this grace necessary? Because for the ongoing life of the believer, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ is absolutely absolutely essential there is nothing that we are able to do apart from the grace of God and there is absolutely nothing that is impossible to be accomplished through the grace of God God can do all things by his grace so Paul even here is reminding Timothy the Ephesian church and Adamsville Baptist Church today that we are always dependent upon God's grace in every area and aspect of life that's very important for us to believe and to know and to trust as a congregation because we have tremendous opportunities tremendous challenges for ministry and service here in this world but we must be dependent upon the grace of God because we can do absolutely nothing without it we can do nothing because see if we were to stand before God in our own power he would see nothing but our sins He would look upon us and say, you know what? You're guilty of sin. Why? Well, you've lied. You've cheated. You've stolen. You've done things that broke each and every command that I gave. And whether you've done it openly and everybody knows it or whether you've done it in your heart in times of private private, uh, reflection, you know that you have broken my law and you have not kept it perfectly and purely. And because of that, your punishment that you deserve, the punishment that I deserve is death and separation from God in hell. That's just reality. The wages of sin, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And the wages of sin is death. That's what I deserve. That's what you deserve. But the unmerited favor, the grace of God, gives us God's riches at Christ's expense. It says that though you and I deserve to pay the penalty for our sins, God has actually stepped in. He has provided a substitute. He has paid in full your debt and my debt on the cross of Calvary. He gave Jesus Christ to suffer and die, to bear the penalty and the power of sin upon Himself so that if you would repent of your sins and place your faith on reservedly in Christ, you would be given the position as son of the Most High. Today, God is pleading with you. Oh, sinner, receive my grace. Receive my grace. See, I've provided salvation for you, but you have chosen to live your own way. Stop seeking to live by your power for God. Start living by God's grace each and every moment. As we come to the close today, how is it that you are living? Are you a sinner sinking deep in sin, knowing you need a Savior, knowing that you need to be made right with God, but yet holding to all the things that you have worked to accomplish in and of yourself? Or are you a sinner who has been saved by grace, learning to live, In the grace of God, moment by moment. If you do not know Jesus Christ as your Savior, His grace is sufficient for you. And He's calling to you today.
for you to come just as you are. To submit yourself to Him and surrender everything so that He might take up your life and live through you. If you're a Christian who has already laid down their life and surrendered everything, He is still calling you today to live not by your strength, not by your power, but by His unmerited favor upon your life, by His grace that is given to you through the power of the Holy Spirit. How are you living today? By God's grace or in your own strength? Father, let us be people who come just as we are and live not in our strength, but in your strength. Lord, let us lay down our lives that are so easily heavy and burdensome. Lives where we so often dishonor you. Father, where we seek ourselves and our selfishness instead of your Savior. And Lord, let us see all of the sin of our life. And surrender ourselves anew today, afresh today, to the Savior Jesus Christ. Lord, teach us what it means to perform the duty of guarding the gospel. Teach us what it means to to avoid the danger of deviating from your word. Father, most of all, teach us today the way of life, which is your grace and your grace alone. Lord, lead us and guide us in this time of decision. Draw us to yourself. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you come this morning just as you are? If you would, I want to invite you.